Hey guys, welcome back to Black Fashion History, the podcast that teaches you all about the contributions of Black people globally to the fashion industry. And today's episode is no different. But before we get into it, did you know that today was Earth Day? Well, Earth Day is all about environmental protection, sustainability, and taking care of the planet that we live on. And my guest today educated me all about Earth Day. Actually, I had no idea that April was Earth Month or that there even was an Earth Day until she responded back to my email. So I thought it was fitting to share with you all what Earth Day is and of course share her interview on Earth Day because she is a sustainability and ethical fashion expert and educator and she's doing amazing things in the sustainable space and promoting black culture in the process. So I'm super excited to share my interview with Dominique Drakeford. I want you all to play really close attention because she explains why it is so important for us as people of color to care about the planet, to care about sustainability and sustainable fashion. And I think you'll find a lot of good gems and bits of information to take with you. Without further ado, here it is. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. I'm the chief curator of a blog called Melanin Ass. The Ass stands for Unsustainable Styles. And it's a digital space that highlights and amplifies the work of black and brown people globally. Um, within sustainable fashion, natural beauty, wellness, and land sovereignty. Um, and I'm also the uh, co-founder of an initiative called Sustainable Brooklyn, which works to bridge the gap between the mainstream sustainability space and targeted communities. Um, so doing a lot of work with regards to education access and, and resource distribution within our community as well as uh, with corporate stakeholders to disrupt the mainstream discourse and amplify black and brown folks. That's me in a nutshell. I'm from Oakland, California, but I reside in New York. I've been here for about eight years, and I've always been in the sustainability space in some facet. It's just that fashion was my main entry point um, by way of thrift and vintage shopping, and okay. I'm happy to be here. So you said a lot of, I think, important words, but words that people may not be familiar with. So can you explain what you mean by sustainable, specifically sustainable style and fashion, and then also what it, what the term land sovereignty means? Yeah, for sure. So 
sustainable fashion, um, well, first of all, sustainability in a formal educational sense is consuming and producing um, to meet the needs of the present without compromising the needs of the future. Mainly you're looking, the movement looks at fashion supply chain, so raw material extraction, apparel making, distribution, consumption, um, life after consumption, looking at the supply chain and trying to mitigate the environmental detriments throughout the whole production supply chain of fashion, uh, while also adhering to standards that make sure communities who are producing the fashion, which are mainly um, black and brown women in Bangladesh and China, making sure that they have, that there's no environmental degradation, but also that they're implementing fair trade practices, making sure they're, where they're working is of standard, making sure that they're getting paid fair wages, and just making sure that they're actually treated humanely while they're producing our clothes. So sustainable fashion has really just tried to focus on not being wasteful and extractive while also making sure that the human beings who are making the clothing and who are dyeing the clothing, who's growing the cotton, are being treated fairly and equitably. And then land sovereignty, just in a nutshell, is just all about justice. Um, justice and equity and agency and stakeholdership with regards to land. So being able to have a relationship with land, black and brown people being able to have a relationship with land, knowing that land theft is a big part of American and black history. Um, so yep. reclaiming and reimagining what our relationship to land is so that we can have, um, so we can take up space on the land that we are owed from generations and generations ago. Um, so, yeah, just in a nutshell. Okay. That makes sense. So I found you um, and Melanin as like a few years ago. Oh, cool. When I, <laughs> when I saw this documentary on Netflix, I don't remember what it's called, but I was completely ignorant to just what. It's probably the true cause. Yes, yes, that's exactly yeah. what it, it was. Uh-huh. So I've always been into fashion, but I was completely ignorant to, you know, what was going on as far as like the supply chain goes and then like what fast fashion really does to the planet and to the people that's producing it. And mm-hmm. after I watched that documentary, I started this journey of just becoming my lifestyle becoming more sustainable and I'm still a long ways from where I want to be, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am getting better with my practices. And I was kind of just looking for more black and brown faces in that space because I'm like, okay, I see this documentary. I want to make this lifestyle change. Now, uh, where do I go? Because these people that don't like look like me don't have the same lifestyle that I do. And so I want to see people like me who have actually done this and how they're living. Like, how do you live in urban areas and, you know, live sustainably? And so I did some Googling and some poking around on Instagram and all that stuff, and that's how I found you. So my question, Mm -hmm. after saying all of that, is (laughs) in my experience, I don't see a lot of – people of color, specifically black women, um, 
in this sustainable, ethical fashion space. So what led you to, like, entering into this industry and being the force that you are? Um, First and foremost, I appreciate the hell out of this story. Like, those are the moments (laughs) when people come and tell me and say, you were the person who I found when I didn't see nobody who looked like me or, you know, you've inspired me or impacted the way that I – operate and you know live my day-to-day like those are the moments that are the most meaningful so thanks for sharing that but the mainstream white sustainability space will make you seem like there's only white people who give a damn about sustainability and fashion and the marriage between the two and that's just not the case and I think because sustainable fashion has been defined so scientifically and has been defined and narrated and propagated by white women, it has not only exploited, but intentionally made our voices and our contributions to the movement completely invisible. And I think also because they spearheaded this definition of sustainability, it also left out so many aspects of how Black people in particular have been resourceful, have tapped into indigenous ancestry, have been thrifting and vintage shopping. Just all of these different ways we've been sustainable has not been um, part of the conversation and the literacy of sustainability. And so for me, it was imperative to disrupt that mainstream narrative from a from a systemic point of view while also building community on the ground with my peoples. And so, like, when I did my first interview for Melanin Ass in 2016, it literally was that moment, that first person-to-person interview. The brand was Idea Dega, and she worked with artisans in Kenya as well as Native American communities to create collections. And usually that's something you hear that white women do. Like, oh, I went, yeah. you know, to Uganda oh, and I went on a mission trip and now I'm partnering with these beautiful indigenous people creating these collections. Those are always white stories that you hear of and, and it and it's cloaked in this saviorism. And so for me to have this conversation with this black woman in 2016 um, as part of my first interview for Melanin Ass, and she was just talking about the work that she does, but also the political activism behind her work and how environmental stewardship and, you know, Black Lives Matter and just that justice component go hand in hand. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is this is a gold mine because your voice isn't part of anything, anything that is narrated to to discuss um building and I'm like yeah no nah, I'm not with this so I I set on a mission to redefine sustainability and like I said from a systemic point of view but but also just on a celebratory like yeah we've been doing this so we're about to build adjacent communities aside from from what the system is doing as well so 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 targeting sort of that parallel concept I don't even know if that answered your question, girl, but that <laughs> but that that was No, but you said a lot of good things though. So what made you decide to like press play on the whole concept of melanin ass? It's always twofold. 
it's always my anger and frustration for how sustainable fashion and sustainability is being controlled and narrated and packaged in educational spaces and in marketing spaces. That's one fold. The second fold is my sheer undeniable love for Black culture and just culture in general and understanding that we created the mandala for sustainability. We created regenerative thought. We are the originators of this through our culture, through our heritage, through our traditions. So it was it was always the marriage between frustration and love and joy. And so Melanin As was born from from that dichotomy. Um and it became and it's important to make sure that I share both of those because the the frustration as well as the joy um is just an important I guess it's important DNA for how the movement needs to be understood in order for us to progress. And so Melanin As was that that pillar of of those two things. I just love how like black you are <laughs> in the sense that like um you know, just in love for black culture. That's hella funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, like your love for like black culture, even the name like Yeah, 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 yeah. Just everything and then to be in this space that's had like a white narrative for such a long time and to be um educating and kind of uh just proud of your culture there. I think that your representation and just you existing is a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. I've never heard that that's hilarious. But I think, really? I think it's important. <laughs> well not not like I love just how black you are. No, I don't have heard that before. <laughs> um and I think I think that to me is one of the most important aspects to show that those who participate in sustainable fashion don't have to look one way. We don't have to wear monochromatic colors and Birkenstocks to be part of the movement. Right. We can have, you know, we can we can have different um we can use colloquiums when we speak and still be educated. We can, you know, come from the motherland and not just produce prints we can make more sophisticated clothes i think just showing that just showing how eclectic the movement needs to be is imperative and understanding that blackness is a mosaic of so many different types of people and they all need to be represented and so like i i don't even want to get way deep into it but I got a lot of pushback in the beginning like it didn't matter that I had a master's degree in sustainable entrepreneurship from NYU it didn't matter that I came into the movement looking thrifty fly and that was just not you know how they identified you know people who were sustainable it didn't a lot of things didn't matter and I feel like it was I mean it was because I was black like a lot of the Things that made sense to me didn't make sense to mainstream, Mm -hmm. and I'm just now getting doors open, even though I've been knocking down and kicking doors for a very long time. So, yeah, appreciate that love, and I will always be unapologetically (laughs) black 
throughout this whole process. So how have you seen it change, though, since you started in the beginning as far as diversity goes? Um, That's a good question. I mean, the movement... You said you're just now, you know, starting to see more doors open. And so, I would say just now is in the last year, year and a half or so. That's very recent. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think I remember I wrote an article, I think it was about three years ago, and I was using terms like colonialism and white saviorism and just all of these things to describe the sustainable fashion movement, a movement that's seemingly perfect and doing all of this good. And I received so much backlash. And from that point, um, up until now, the movement has definitely grown just in terms of awareness and just in terms of the building blocks. Um, I'm able to partner and collaborate with so many women of all ethnicities um, to to build something beautiful. But what I realized is I had a BuzzFeed video about how I don't necessarily identify as being part of the zero waste movement and reading the comments, the comments were just like, Oh my gosh, she's racist, yada, yada, yada. And it reminded me back to that article from three years ago. And it's like, I can be in the sustainable fashion bubble and say within this, this movement, you know, it's grown significantly, but when you step out of the bubble of sustainable fashion in the grand scheme of understanding, there's still so much that needs to be done, and you realize, like, the fuckery is still there because it's rooted in racism. And so I am definitely, um, I like, I'm a realist, but... Like, I still try to, you know, be positive and, and think about things from a from a positive light. But I wouldn't be real if I didn't pinpoint, like, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, right. Because Black people, at the end of the day, are still the victims of environmental degradation. Communities of color globally are still stuck in a colonial trap. And white women still control the sustainable fashion space. So there's still a lot of work to be done despite the baby steps that have been made so far. I guess my follow-up question to that is on the flip side, how has things changed in communities of color um, since you started, like, being – well, I don't want to say started because you did say, like, you have always kind of been into sustainability um, and taken that very seriously – I guess since you started particularly this work online, how have you seen the perceptions of sustainability and sustainable fashion and all of that in communities of color? It has changed drastically. Or I don't want to say it's changed drastically, but so many people have shared with me how my work has impacted their lives personally, professionally, as a designer how they raise their kids, and a lot of the sentiment that i found is, oh, my gosh, I feel heard, or, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I was sustainable, or, oh, my gosh, um, you know, there's 
a community of people who are working in this space and I've been looking for y'all. Where have you been? And so it's, it's one of the most beautiful and rewarding things is to receive a text message or a DM or an email from people within my community who are elated to know that there is community and who's elated to know that somebody's disrupting the space in this way, um, but doing it in, in, you know, in a positive format. So, yeah, I mean, it, I've just received so much beautiful feedback. And even from folks who aren't people of color, who are who are elated to know that, you know, talking about colonialism and survival and just the creativity and resourcefulness of black communities is part of the conversation. There are people who genuinely are happy to know and happy to support um, myself and others who who are just working to, to shift the system and shift the gaze. Um, so it's definitely been beautiful in that regard for sure. I know I'm definitely part of the yes, community of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. So you're also the co-founder of Sustainable Brooklyn, where you bridge the gap between the sustainability movement and targeted communities. So what are some challenges that you face as you try to bring this education into these different communities? Um so I think the beautiful thing about Sustainable Brooklyn is that it brought a lot of the tenets of my personal work, like melanin ass or just my writing and just the the seeds that I planted in building community to life um, by, you know, hosting symposiums and having community events and, and sharing resources. Um, I think the challenging part, and I You know, there's a couple of challenges, but I think the main challenge is that our business model, most people, when we connect with larger brands to collaborate or partner, um, or even when we're thinking about funding revenue streams, our business model is not a not-for-profit. And I think Mm -hmm. because we don't subscribe to the reliance of, like, philanthropic and government support, because we're looking to reframe what financial sustainability means for us as black women, um, a lot of people, it's just very, it's just a foreign concept. It's just a foreign ideology um, for an organization to be so engaged, you know, in civic engagement. So I would say the financial sustainability during our first year was a challenge. And I think it sucks because COVID obviously brings, or not obviously, but COVID is going to bring some interesting opportunities. But this, I think, was the year we were going to really make that shift in our financial sustainability, um, just in terms of our business model. But I would say that that's the biggest challenge. Um, Everything else was pretty much so fluid, getting people engaged, um, producing phenomenal holistic symposiums with all black and brown panelists. Um, Like everything else for the most part was pretty exceptional. Um, Just the financial sustainability. For me, that's exciting to hear that it's well received. uh, Because sometimes I have this 
notion that as black people, not that we aren't sustainable, but we kind of hold on to like our practices that we already have and enjoy. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we're not open to new ways of living. Yep, 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 yep. So I am curious if, like, the education piece was a little challenging in that respect. But it's nice to know that uh, it wasn't. But then, you know, I know you're also in New York, which is very different from, like, the South, where I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in terms of, like, people and perception and welcoming concepts. So I'm sure that yeah. had a piece to play with it as well. I think it's important, you know, the one thing I learned in this journey when I'm specifically talking to my community is that, and and this is where I see a lot of people fail when they're trying to instill behavioral changes in our community, is that they don't really meet people where they're at, and they don't switch up how they deliver and disseminate information based on the community. All black people do not absorb and operate the same, despite what everybody, you know, thinks. Like, yes, there's an undertone of understanding for the most part, but depending on where you are geographically, your cultural background, your financial, your, you know, your social economic status, you have to truly meet people where they are when you're trying to introduce something new. And I think also letting folks know that this is actually not a new concept. So in the guise of meeting people where they are, you're also letting them know, like, honestly, you've been doing this, sis, bruh. You've been about this life. Your auntie, your grandma, your ancestors been about this life. And figure out what resonates with them. Is, is it beauty? Is it hair care? Is it clothing? Is it thrifting? Is it, you know, the ecology? Is it soil? Is it farming? There's so many different entry points. And I think people try to force a narrative or force an agenda on a brand new community instead of developing an authentic relationship and meeting people where they are because at the end of the day you can find a way to connect with virtually any black person on sustainability whether you like most people don't believe that but the reality is you can um but it's just not the traditional things that you think of i think how we communicate and what we communicate is important and i've obviously seen you know roadblocks i've obviously had people i've stopped this or bruh down the street from littering <laughs> trying to explain it and and i immediately get told like clearly i didn't explain that the right way like i didn't meet them where they were you know but but <laughs> i've had plenty of of roadblocks where they wasn't trying to hear it um but i think i do believe that there is an entry point for every black person, especially when we get into health and, and, you know, visibility, what we look like and things like that. So yeah, definitely challenges, but, but I've grown in my approach to how I talk to my community because we've been, um, there's just been a lot of cultural trauma. And so understanding mm-hmm. that there's cultural trauma means we have to communicate with each other very differently and have empathy when we're doing so. You know, I never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, that's I I would say I agree with that. Yeah, that's but, because sustainability has been just taught in a way where the average black person is about to hop on that concept. Right, <laughs> it just or, it just hasn't been. I would even venture to say like even um 
if you think about like shows where mm-hmm. there is a black person that um is sustainable, they're made to seem like weird and spacey yep. and all that. Yep. And that Super doesn't hippie. look appealing at all. Right. Not at all. No, like I was saying before, like part of the 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 issue with white women controlling the narrative, they also control which types of black people are seen in media or are seen in classrooms. And it always only looks like one type of black person doing one right. type of thing. And so, yeah, I was not with that, that narrative at all. Like, I was not with the shit. So it was important for folks to understand, like, yo, there's so many different ways to take baby steps in sustainability. And it looks like you and me. Because it started with you and me. So, so yeah. Um just just challenging visibility wise what it looks like is is just as important as the information sharing for sure well speaking of baby steps what are some things that people can do to um make more sustainable choices in their life more sustainable fashion choices food mm. choices whatever i think this is always a hard question because it goes back to meeting people where they are. And so there's so many different ways to, to insert that into your lifestyle. Definitely education. Like I got my, like my bachelor's is in environmental management. My master's is in sustainable entrepreneurship. So I've been in the formal education space for a while and I didn't really learn about sustainability until I started reading, which is the irony of it all. So (laughs) reading definitely opened a portal of knowledge, of self-knowledge, for sure. Um, I think we're on social media, so find influencers or people who you believe impact the conversation follow them and connect with them. Like, that's your circle of influence in the digital space. I think that's extremely important. Um, I think shifting your – figuring out how have I been sustainable thus far. Have I been reusing plastic bags? Have I been recycling? Have I been thrifting? Have I been – uh reusing that old uh butter tub for some rice I just cooked? Am I using mason jars for multiple purposes? Am I drying my clothes on? No matter what it is, whether it's to save money or it's to be eco-friendly or it's for whatever reason, figure out what your sustainability IQ is and then build from there. And I think once we show love to ourselves like oh I have been sustainable oh this is what I do and take pride in what we have already been doing um then we become more inclined and inspired to continue that level of creative environmentalism and we build community from that by sharing it um so yeah just a couple of different couple of different ways to just get 
started and just shifting our consciousness into thinking like that. Like you've been badass sustainable. So let's let's continue. Um, let's continue on so that we can be healthier and happier, not only for ourselves and our community, but for the planet at large in which we inhibit. So why is that important for our communities? Because, you know, it goes back to, like, the narrative of the whole thing. Like, when we talk about the planet and making sure that the Earth is healthy and it's around, you know, we don't readily connect those ideas with communities of color. So can you make that plain? Like, why should me as a black woman, you know, care? Mm -hmm. So it's funny. I'm actually writing a book about this. And Ooh, nice. And and even in the however many pages it's going to be, it's still going to be hard to contextualize. Um and so that's my big challenge during this pandemic <laughs> is figuring out how to make that clear, like drawing a very clear connection um thinking of a black woman in mind but i think if we look i think we have to do like a mental mind map like the rise in colonialism came from indigo which was a hidden commodity of the slave trade right elaine a lot of people don't know this like ancestors had indigo farms colonizers took that shit and became wealthy from it and then the fashion industry in which we love so dearly um was created from our slave labor Mm. and so then when we get to sort of the rise and 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 let's be clear, it was from our slave labor, but continued due to the prison industrial complex with which most black and brown people have been, you know, um, weaponized to be a part of. Um, and so when we get to, like, fashion and hip-hop culture and knowing that we set the trends in an industry that we never – reap the benefits from our culture is then appropriated yet again on so many different plateaus and then we are weaponized by what we wear and so fashion is this mix or let me even go further what not but what we wear And as the fashion industry grows from the appropriation, it fuels the environmental crisis because it's so wasteful. And in fueling the the larger environmental crisis, pushing greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and warming the planet, black people become disproportionately affected by the hurricanes and the the crop yield loss and the droughts 
and just the environmental racism that happened from partially from the fashion industry. So it's this interesting, interesting cycle um, of how black people and people of color are, have been affected from inception. Um, but also I think it's important to understand that now more than ever, fashion has been an important part of our creativity and our survival and our sustainability. Um, if you, I mean, there's so many examples, but I think we have to, as we have to realize that we need to take ownership of sustainable fashion, the way we take ownership of so many other trends, like so many other trends we don't tolerate the the disrespect and i think we have to apply that same methodology to sustainable fashion um because it's so political and at the end of the day it literally affects our health it affects our coins um and it affects how we communicate with one another um so yeah Trust me, girl, I'm working on drawing those lines so that it becomes crystal clear. But right now, it's still it's still a bunch of mind map bubbles. <laughs> no, but I think your explanation just now really, or at least it made it clear for me and kind of drew the connection. It's like one thing that I'm always reminded of every time I do this podcast, whether I'm like talking to somebody or I'm sharing about a black person in fashion who hasn't receive the credit that they should have received Mm -hmm. i'm reminded of the fact that for black people um nothing is ever simple in that like exactly sustainable fashion isn't just about like oh i want to be eco-friendly and trendy right now like it isn't just about fashion it really goes like deeper um, so and it affects us in in so many ways. Like, and in, in kind of everything that we encounter is pretty much like that. It is it's very political. It's and very I think, political. Like, if we look at things with that glasses, like, we'll be able to understand better and we'll want a bigger part of, you know, what's going on in the movement because we see how it it affects our communities and how the results or the negative results disproportionately affects us um, yeah. just because of, you know, the way the system has been set up since the beginning. So, no, I think you made it really plain. You connected dots for me that I didn't, I wasn't aware of before. Right. And so now I'm going to go do some more reading. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even it's, it's crazy when you go into this matrix, like if you think about how toxic the prison industrial complex is, most people aren't thinking about fashion, realizing that criminalized black and brown bodies make clothing for corporations using free right. prison labor, right? If we think about the rise in thrift and vintage shopping, like we've been thrift and vintage shopping, whether mm-hmm. it was about affordability or whether we were getting our style IQ up, but the rise in thrift and vintage shopping has increased the prices, pricing out communities of color who right. had ownership of that shit. You know what I mean? And it's, and even when we're thinking about, oh, 
you know, I I send donations to these organizations of my used clothing, not knowing that a lot of those clothes get shipped straight to Africa and India, and India destroying their local manufacturing system. Right. And that, in turn, affects us again. So it's like it it's so complex and it's so interwoven. And I think just the mainstream space did a disservice by not contextualizing how much it affects us and how we've contributed. And so just my work in doing that has been has been interesting because there are so many different touch points. Um, and the learning is forever evolving, for sure. So I know you're working on the book now, but when can we expect it? <laughs> that's a girl. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> So much good information. <laughs> nah, it's about to be juicy as hell. But um, you know, the I try to find the 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 beauty in everything. And one of the beauties in this pandemic is that I actually have time to sit down um and read a lot more and write a lot more. So I don't have a date yet. <laughs> My goal is to be done writing by the end of the year, um, and so hopefully it's going to print um, come next year. That's the goal, but, you know, you could set goals all damn day, and yeah. life does what it wants. So, so yeah, that's the goal. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. It's such a big passion project of mine just based on my experiences to and, and education and knowledge to get this out into the world because it's needed. Like, as much as I'm, I'm a Leo, right, I want it to be like, oh, yes, I'm a, I'm a book writer, I'm an author, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, more importantly, what I have to say is so critical and important for the world. Like, absolutely, it's directed towards black people, but white folks need to read it, too. So, and, and people of color need to read it too. So, I'm just excited for it to become a tool and a resource for the future. Now, that makes me think of another question. So, yes. how do you deal with, um, yeah, <laughs> 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 like, go ahead, I'll let you of, you know, of white people in the sense, like, they may see you and say, and some people may even, like, tune you out and not be interested in listening to what you have to say, even though it's important information for them, because they may think you are too black, or they look at you and they're like, oh, this is not for me. Like, she's not talking to me. Yeah. Um. You know what? That was the case in the beginning. I'm finding out that, quote, unquote, diversity and inclusion is trending. <laughs> and so <laughs> because it's a trending concept, um, one in which is cool, but I don't really subscribe to because I'm more about the agency and stakeholdership mm -hmm. more so than diversity and inclusion. But because diversity and, and, and inclusion is trending, um, and so is sustainability, I feel like just those two ideals coming together, people are a lot more um, 
open to certain opportunities in hearing my voice. Um, so that's one of the, you know, that's been, I guess, a plus, quote unquote, that I've taken advantage of. Um, and I think people see that I have worked in legitimate spaces um, with my voice. And I think people recognize and respect that as well. Um, but yeah, it it does it never means that there aren't those people who have something to say or who don't have to get checked or who, you know, who I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's you know it's an ever it's evolving and every I've dealt with so many different case studies across the board that at this point I'm just like you are going to take it or leave it and then if there's something that I need to extract from you I will play a game for the culture if that makes sense like that's just a no, personal and, secret of mine like and no, I know it, it absolutely makes sense <laughs> like I know what it is but if I need to do what I need to do for the longevity of the culture I'll do that otherwise I pass so it's, no, it's I, all of a give or take. It's interesting. I understand what you mean 100%. I call it wearing the wig. Yeah. Um, that's just because I'm I'm natural. But it's like if. Right, 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 right. If I got to if I gotta wear the wig in order to be able to get into this space or whatever to further the culture, then, you know, I'll wear the wig for a time being. Yeah. For the and, and, the, and, the, and the people who are in my main cohort of influence know what it is. You know right. what I mean? And not everybody, you know, not everybody appreciates that. Not everybody from the community is with that. You know, some people are so radical that they're not about that life. And I respect, I respect that. But for me and the role and the, the leadership role that I'm playing is, I have the ability and the privilege to be able to go into certain spaces and be a chameleon the way others can't because I'm trying to build a bridge for the long haul for all of us, for multiple people, not just a select few. And so I know that there's certain risks and I know that there's certain, yeah, there's certain risks that I have to take. Um, and that's just what it is. But I'm fully cognizant and aware of all of that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware. And I pick and choose my battles with intention, for sure. No, I, I think both is needed. Like, both types yeah. of, both styles are needed. Absolutely. And you will never see me hating on the other one because they, you know, they, they don't always respect this approach. But I respect that. I respect what you're doing. We're just on two different plateaus, fighting for the same same thing. Right. Just different approaches. Well, what do you have coming up that, you know, people should look out for? Um, so Sustainable Brooklyn, we have um, elemental symposiums, earth, air, fire, water. Last year we had um, earth and air. This year, well, in May, we were supposed to have fire, 
and at the end of the year have water. And basically they are symposiums that center the voices and work and activations of black and brown women across agriculture, across fashion, across wellness. And we just create a whole 360 approach to sustainability, something that has never been done before. Like I wish I could just tell you all the amazing testimonials we got. It's the most dynamic sustainability um, symposium to date, in my opinion. And I've been to a lot in my 10 years of being in this space. Um, so we're going to have fire, but it's just going to be online because of, you know, COVID-19. And so the Zoom conference is tentatively going to be on May 1st. And it's going to talk about the impact that COVID has on fashion, on the fashion industry, and what future business models and systems are going to look like post-COVID. So it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation with some really amazing speakers from all over the globe. So that's coming up tentatively on, on May 1st for Sustainable Brooklyn. Okay, that sounds good. I'm actually going to go um, make sure that I check that out. <laughs> yes, definitely. Make sure you're following. We'll have all the updates there. Um, and, yeah. And for people who want to just learn more about you and all the amazing work that you're doing, can you please share where they can find you online? Absolutely. My personal Instagram handle is Dominique Drakeford, my first name, last name. I know it's really long, um, but hopefully you remember it. And <laughs> my my blog, Melanin As, is the handle Melanin Ass, and then Sustainable Brooklyn, the handle on Instagram is Sustainable BK. And my website, DominiqueDraker.com, I'm working on the back end to make it just a more centralized hub of my work and initiatives and collaborations. But the website is a good resource as well. And feel free to email me literally whenever. I'm very accessible. And that's it, guys. Make sure you follow Dominique at all of her socials and check out her website. And of course, if you have any questions about sustainability, sustainable fashion, or land sovereignty, you can reach out to her via email. You heard her say she's an open book and easily accessible. And thanks again for listening to another episode of Black Fashion History. As always, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on the podcast platform of your choice but most importantly tune in again next week where we'll have another black fashion history installment bye bye